I'm Linnea, and this is part two of our two-part interview with Harley Whitehead, a logistical support volunteer training to be an EOD specialist in Ukraine. When did you shift completely over into the like tactical stuff? Yeah, that was around August. We shifted completely from then. Um, and then we was working up until about uh, around October and then we had a break. Then we started back up again in the end of November. That's not a and big then, break. No, no, no. Just a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, just a couple of weeks. But yeah, that, that was... Um, yeah, that was quite a busy time for us as well, you know. Um, but the thing is that I always find that, you, you know, when you come home for a couple of weeks, it's like, what do you do with yourself? You know, you're twiddling your thumbs, you're watching it all on TV. You're like, oh, oh, if, oh I could do this, I could do that. And, I, you know, I do, I do suffer from a lot of that as well at home sometimes, you know, because obviously I come back to the UK to get supplies and a lot of the supplies are quite expensive. So I need to just remember and remind myself all the time that what I am doing, here is important, even though I'm not in Ukraine all the time. You know, yeah. it's still just as important here, but it, it is difficult as well when you sat around waiting to do things sometimes. Yeah, you know? phases of like fundraising and then action yeah. and then fundraising and then action. Completely, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, um, I try and keep the cost down as much as I can. I mean, by flying if I can't. I mean, if I can take things in suitcases, um, you know, I think we had like, two suitcases the other week which you know 35,000 euros worth of stuff in them cases you know so it's, it's quite a lot in some you know in two wow. suitcases so you know it is quite important but if I can fly and keep the cost down rather than driving all the way through Europe and everything I will do that so I keep two of my vehicles in uh, in Poland um, so I can get a flight from Manchester to eastern Poland and be in Lviv within you know, probably eight hours of leaving Manchester. So yeah, that I always find that's the fastest and most effective way for us to do it and cost effective as well. You know, but if we are taking, you know, a van load of, of everything, um, you know, supplies and equipment, then you know it can take about two or three days. Do you have an accountant? Do you have someone who's keeping your books? Like this seems like a lot to keep track of and Yeah, yeah. So majority of the funding actually comes from Brandon uh, <laughs> in terms of buying the equipment. So Brandon tends to buy a lot of the equipment and our donations and stuff just pays for like the logistics. Um, but yeah, we pick up equipment from all sorts of different people on units and stuff, which we don't have to pay for. So so it's basically just like logistic costs for us. But yeah, uh, my, my sister actually looks after the finances of ours. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. She's, she does that from home <laughs> here in the UK. Yeah, so. Yeah, and you've got Cara here. Cara's our team member. Uh, but, you know, she's working full-time here in England and volunteering as well in Ukraine. So, yeah, so oh. she has to work and then book time up to do her volunteering off work. So, you know, there's, it's a case of just saving, working, and then doing what we do and saving and working, doing what we do sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, next week, obviously, you know, I go to EOD school, um, which we've been fundraising and saving for. Um, We've just got our last piece of equipment arriving today, so yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to a new challenge. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, yeah I've done a lot of driving. I think I've done like 
I've done like over a hundred thousand kilometers now. So wow. Yeah, since the start of the war. So you can imagine. And that's me only driving. There's nobody else. You know, nobody else can drive. So it's a lot. What turns you to explosive ordnance disposal? It's something I've always wanted to do. Um I think working with um some of the EOD teams out in Ukraine and supplying them, I always wanted to go out with them and see how they did it's just exciting work. And I feel like it's it's something new every day as well. You know, it's different, different tasks and different areas. And, you know, you know you really are making a difference as well. You know, I always say that one EOD technician can save hundreds of lives, even in one year, you know. So it's highly rewarding work as well. So it's, you know, it's always something that I want I want to do. And, and I'm really just really grateful to be able to do it, actually. Yeah, just can't wait to get started. Seems like you're going into it just at the right time because yeah. counteroffensive. There's going to be a lot of liberated land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously, because a lot of my work actually involves working in liberated territories, so um, we see how bad them areas are. I mean, a lot of people go on about and talk about Donbass and Blackmore and, and stuff, but um, Kherson and Mykolaiv is a really bad region. It's been really, really hard hit. Um, yeah, it's probably the worst I've seen after Batmut. I know, I know people look at Batmut, um, and it's all on the floor basically. It's you know it's all rubble and there's you know Kherson's pretty much like that. Not not so much the city, but the surrounding areas are pretty much just the same as what Batmut is like. So yeah, it's still getting actively shelled too. Yeah, yeah, every day it's a very dangerous place. I mean, a lot of our a lot of our work um, involves working in Kherson, so. The area itself is so dangerous, especially for volunteers, you know, because there's collaborators in Kherson, um, a lot of pro-Russians in Kherson. Um, there's a volunteer who was, actually, who was actually stabbed in the street a few months ago. So, And that was just for speaking English in the street. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it's quite intense there. And I was there the other week. And, um, I was stood at a cash machine. There was like 30 people queuing at this cash machine. And I was just, everyone was just staring at me, you know. I felt really uncomfortable. Like, everyone was just looking at me. It was just, it was like a surreal moment, really. It's, I don't know. It's it's a very surreal place to walk through. It's not lively. It's empty. It's deserted. Everything's just weird, you know. It's quite strange. People are just staring at each other. And you just don't know what's going on. And we was actually... Uh, stood there the other, week, the other week and someone was videoing us from a car with a phone and and there, were, there wasn't even being subtle about it I mean there was openly doing it they didn't care and it was just very weird you know and that's the sort of thing that you've got to look out for because there is collaborators in her song so we, we, we did get offered a base there uh, for free a warehouse and stuff but decided not to take it just due to the fact that um, you know, it's, da- it's dangerous for us. So, for for people to know where we're actually based in that area, um, obviously because we use Western vehicles as well, you know, you get followed and people want to know where you're staying and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of that going on, and it doesn't really get reported on. I spoke about too much because a lot of of what's going on in the east overshadows what's actually happening in the south. Is there a lot of concern with either collaborators or people across the river? Um, targeting Westerners? Yeah, completely. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we were concerned. Um, Organisations who I know work in person, they're always concerned about 
the situation and, and, and locals. Um, since her, her song's been liberated, a lot of people have actually fled since it's been liberated. So um, a lot of people like Mikolaev, a lot of people came back. So Mikolaev's quite buzzing now and, and lively to a degree. It's not fully there yet, but it's better than it was. Uh, but her song, yeah, is definitely, uh, there's definitely problems and, and stuff with, you know, with the collaboration and and just pro-Russians, really. So, yeah, if he was a Western volunteer, I would have been wearing my, you know, my uniform. I'd probably just be in civilian clothing. Yeah, just not looking out of place, really, because you do look out of place when you're wearing anything tactical or anything like that. In her song, and and you do get looked at, and I'm not saying everybody's a collaborator, but there's obviously people down there who, who are like that. Because when you, when you when you go back to when her song was actually occupied, there was people walking around with pro-Russian T-shirts and ribbons on, and everything wasn't there. So, you know, and there's a lot of them people still there. So you've just got to be mindful of that when you're working there. Have you had any close calls in the south? Um, no, not in the south. No, everything's been pretty. Um, all right, actually. I mean, to be honest, I study a lot of things now and, and, and everything before I, I go to any work. Or, I mean, to be honest, the, the close, closest call that I've had is probably getting stuck in the mud. Just due to the fact that we, we study and we're well drilled and, and everything on where we're going and who we're working with and everything. So you just keep the risk to a minimum, really. There is a road that you do drive if you're going down her song, and you're probably only around one kilometre or two kilometres from the actual Russian lines. So um, what we was doing was actually driving down that road in the dark uh, without headlights on and stuff during the night. And yeah, everything was okay in that sense. Do you guys have night vision for those kinds of things? Uh, we did. We had okay. to, but we'd give it away. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'd give it away. Because we don't, we don't, but there's another route we can use now. So we don't need to use that road anymore. Um, so yeah, there's another route open now, so which is, which is a lot better actually. So, yeah, we didn't, we didn't need to use night vision anymore. Did you have a lot of logistical challenges with the mud season? Yeah, 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 completely, yeah. Um, I mean, I got stuck in, in Kharkiv. Um, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. I was stuck in an abandoned village on my own. It was minus 10. Um, end of November, and I was, stuck, I was stuck there all night. There was nothing I could do. I had no signal. I couldn't ring anybody. I couldn't do anything. And, and yeah, I was stuck, so... To be honest, it's the, that's probably the only time that I've actually genuinely been kind of like scared because I just didn't know what to do. Because nobody, there was nobody for probably 10, 15 kilometres. So I'd have had to walk. Yeah, just crazy. It was stupidly cold as well. And I was on my own in the dark at night. So yeah, when I say pitch black, there was nothing. You know, the only lights that was on was my phone and my headlights on my back. So how did you resolve that? Yeah, so there was actually two Polish guys um, went past. I seen some headlights coming towards me, and I was like, oh, because I've been trying to ring the police to explain that I was stuck, uh, but they kept putting the phone down on me. And I didn't really know where I was either. That was that was kind of like a big thing because my GPS wasn't working or anything. Um, and two guys came in this car that was Polish, and they had two flat tyres themselves. Um, and they was like, have you got anything to pull my tyres up with? And I was like, no, then... I said, we got a rope, I'm stuck and, and everything. And they actually pulled out a broken rope. And the rope snapped the first time again. So they ended up tied it. It was just like a rope full of knots where it had been tied together again. And, and eventually they managed to pull me out, luckily. Um, 
Yeah, because I, I honestly, I, I don't know what I would have done at that point. I had, I had like a full van as well of it. So I think a lot of it was down to the weight of the van, which wasn't helping. So, yeah. And it's just because it was so cold as well. It was such like a kind of a scary time, you know. After two, three hours of being sat there, you know, I started like thinking like, what am I actually going to do? You know, like I, I was actually getting a bit, getting a bit scared at that point. So, okay. I, I assume that if you were to like walk out, that you'd have to worry about minefields as well. Yeah, completely. Yeah, because that was liberated territory. So uh, it is. I think it's a area called Shevchenko or something like that near Kharkiv. So it's it was um, occupied territory. Uh, it's completely abandoned. There's nobody there. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. How do you navigate minefields? Because there are also like a lot of the roads are mined. Yeah, completely. Well, there was a time actually in Izium, uh, which was actually the same um, two days that I drove through Izium. And I drove down a road where the, there was actually a mine on the road, and I didn't know. And I actually drove down that road twice. Um, and a few days later, there was a, a, a truck that was delivering bread that went down the same road and exploded and killed both guys. So I never know to this day, obviously, why that mine never went off. I didn't know if it was due to the frost, the snow, or whether you know whether it was just ice. It could be any condition, you know. Yeah, it's always something that you do think about. I think you know that could have been me, and that was in Izium. And yeah, there was there was a lot of problems around Izium at that time. There was a a time the actual same night I was driving and I was following Google Maps, and it was telling me to go straight on. And luckily, it was quite foggy outside, so I was kind of going slow, and I was visibility was nothing really. I mean, it was ten meters, if that. Um, I won't even say it was that. And it tried taking me over a broken bridge. The the bridge was blown. Literally, if I'd have been saying lighting a cigarette or going a bit faster or something, I'd have gone straight over that bridge. So, yeah, that 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 was pretty much the same week this was all in one week this at this point yeah it was, it was all crazy it's pretty risky for volunteers huh yeah yeah completely yeah completely risky driving at night in ukraine is quite risky anyway you know it's always been something the uh the uk government advised you not to do even before the war you know as an expat they always do not drive at night in ukraine um because there's potholes and everything that could set your front of your car off you know they damage it can cause your cars can be fail actually um and you've got wild boar that run around in the road as well all sorts of things yeah so and because there's lack of the lack of lighting on the road and road markings and everything you know it does make it quite dangerous for a volunteer in terms of driving but yeah obviously there's a risk of mines depending on where you're working so there was a, there was an incident the other week in her song where the some collaborators actually put mines down again so that what they've done they cleared the mines and then the collaborators have actually come back and put the mines down relayed the mines on a road in there so so and that was about three or four weeks ago i don't know how eod works at all do you like, scan is there like a radar type thing like how do you know yeah so they use a uh, handheld mine detectors so um yeah they could scan scan the ground for them and that'll pick up signals of of um, of mines and unexploded ordnance as well. So yeah, it's just a case. It's like a metal detector, basically. How you far know, ahead uh, does it detect? Like, what's the? Um, it all depends on the unit that you're using. I mean, you've got good quality units out there, which are quite expensive. Um, 
I think it, they can detect within, you know, a metre or two of, yeah. But I think the problem is as well, is that because there's a lot of shrapnel lying around, there's a lot of false readings as well. Yeah. You know, so you've got that to deal with. So that's why it's going to be such a, a long, slow process, you know, for clearing Ukraine of, of mines due to the shrapnel. And the front line itself is around 1,000 kilometres or something, I think. So, yeah, it's... It's going to be a long time. It's going to take decades anyway. You know, I think for Ukraine at the minute, it's just a case of clearing the roads and the access and, and anything on the side of the road and everything's just, just going to have to come in good time. You know, that's going to, They're going to have to be cleared in the future at some point, uh, but it's not that important right now. It's just a case of getting the roads open and, yeah. and getting them safe. We're hearing stories a lot now about maybe non-traditionally placed mines, like in trees, in like doorways, tucked under rubble. Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of that going on for, for a long time. Even since Butcher, I mean, there was mining a booby trap of the dead bodies. You know, they was putting mines underneath the bodies. So it was a case of actually tying a rope and a hook and line around somebody's feet and dragging the body, just in case there was a mine under it. You know, you've got... Um, the OZM mines, which jump out from the ground, you know, they're activated by tripwires. So, you know, they're everywhere. You know, and they're killing, you know, farm animals and everything. You know, if you go around Hearson, you can see there's farm animals and everything dead in the fields. And that's just due to mines and, and stuff. But another thing in Hearson as well, the Russians actually poisoned the water. It's not just the mines for the farmers, it's the, it's the water as well. A lot of the water has been poisoned. So, because the Russians, what they did, they actually threw their own soldiers' bodies down wells. Yeah, so their own dead soldiers, they threw the bodies down the wells to poison the water. So wow. we know of one one farmer who lost like fifty two cattle, you know, just in one one go. So wow. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, crazy. Some of the things that are going on, and, you know, the cost of it economically for Ukraine is huge. Yeah, in terms of explosives, you know, you've got the the Mon 50s, which is like a claymore. Um, you know, you've got them attached to trees and everything. So they're exploding at head height. You know, they're not exploding on the ground. They're exploding up here. So, you know, if you activate that tripwire, you know, within 50 metres, kill zone or something, or I think for a Mon 50, or, you know, it's crazy. And that's the sort of thing that's going on at the minute. Wow. So I assume mm. that's kind of some of what you'll you'll do in your training. Yeah. So to be honest, I'm quite looking forward to getting started. So I've been, I think, because I've been studying um, theory for so long and waiting to start for so long. I mean, there's actually people who asked asked me where I was studying because they wanted to do the course. And they're actually now qualified before me. You know. So yeah, because I couldn't do the course straight away. I had to wait because I had a few things going on in my personal life. So of course that. I could have done earlier, um, you know, I couldn't do it, so. How much, do, if it's okay for me to ask, how much does it cost? The, taking the course, getting all the equipment that you need, what is the startup cost? Yeah, so um, the course was around 8,500 euros um, to do. That was just the level one and two. So if you want to return and do your three um that's, I think, another five and a half thousand euros, which is not something I'm not doing my level three straight away. Um, in terms of equipment, you know, I think we spent around three, three and a half thousand pounds on equipment. So, yeah, around four thousand euros. 
uh, just on equipment. And, and equipment's, you know, that's always going, going to be something you're always going to be added to. I mean, it's it's not a case of you've got everything and that's everything that you're going to need. I think there's going to be a point where things are going to have to be replaced and then you you probably, oh, yeah, I forgot that. Or, you know, uh, but I've gone through my kit list so many times with so many different EOD technicians and I think I've got everything I need, I think, you know. So it's just one of them, yeah. Is that the kind of work that you do with a team, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you couldn't do it, you know, just in case there's an accident or anything. You know, it tends to be a team and a, and a medic on, on standby just in case there's a problem. So. so I know some EOD technicians who are out there working already. So, I, you know, what I'm going to be doing is joining up with them and, and working alongside them for some period and then just see what happens from there you know I don't know whether I've got my own way or whether I'll stick with them or you know we'll just see what happens so you were able to fundraise for the entirety of the course <laughs> and all of the equipment as well yeah yeah that's really amazing help my you know um, people on the internet people who follow us and follow my work and I think there's a lot of people out there who have followed me for quite some time and they know that you know, we're genuine, you know, they, they genuinely want to help us. And, you know, I, there's actually, I don't I don't think there's any donation from anybody from my personal life, if I'm honest, um, back here in England. So, you know, everybody and everything that we, we've managed to raise has been funded by, you know, just friends and stuff we've made through, through the war. And I think one of the positives to actually come out of the, the war is the fact that we've, you know, met some real good friends and, yeah, good connections and stuff. And it's, yeah, it's quite positive, actually, um, to show that there's a lot of people out there who are still interested, invested, and, and you know, wanting a better future for Ukraine in a time where, you know, support it has been dying off, especially in England. It's, a lot of that's probably due to the cost of living crisis as well, but um, there's a lot of people who just don't have any money. So it's, it's a difficult time for our country here. Isn't it? So are you fundraising for anything right now? Yeah, so we're fundraising now. We're going to be getting a uh, a volunteer HQ, so uh, just a rental property uh, to be able to work from. Uh, we've already got vehicles, kit, and obviously trainings uh, paid for. Um, so anything we do raise from now on, we'll just go towards diesel costs and day-to-day costs of de-mining and, and you know, clearing UXO. That that's that's pretty much it. Now, you know, I think all the money that we needed, the, the big money that we actually needed, you know, we we we've actually managed to raise. So now it's just a case of just day to day costs and stuff. Yeah. So I'm hoping the actual costs of and money that we do need is actually going to go lower. You know, to operate now. You know, now now the now the big hurdles over with. You know, which I never in a million years thought I'd be able to do. Just kind of a a, a dream, basically. You know, I was seven and a half thousand pound goal to do the course and i was i, I even said i'm never going to be able to raise it ever and I actually raised it within two weeks wow oh yeah yeah it was great how can people send you money um paypal um so we have a paypal account and we have a crowdfunder account which it's a bit like a GoFundMe sort of thing you know yeah mm-hmm. uh but our main source of um donation income is actually through paypal um we receive that instantly as well also, we have a partner organization called Sunflower Project, um, who are an American registered charity. 
and you can make um, donations, tax deductible ones to to sunflower projects, and that money will come to, to us um, if oh. if you if you need to do that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yes. So, what are what are the next steps for you? Yeah, so um, my next steps, obviously, I'm going to go to Kosovo next week to do my training. Um, Going to complete my training, and then it's a case of going back to Ukraine, which is going to be around the end of June when I finish training. So yeah, in the next couple of weeks, our goals now are fundraising, getting as much money as we can put aside. Um, we're going to be getting a HQ over there, which will uh, obviously support us and our team. Um, and there's also going to be some animals in that HQ as well who have been rescued from the war. So Cara is actually training at the minute to uh, do a lot of work with dogs. So um, a lot of dogs have been affected by the war. Um, displaced, owners have left, owners have died. So, yeah, the, the HQ is also going to be, you know, supporting the animals as well. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Got quite a good few good things going on at it, so it sounds like it. That's pretty exciting amazing. times. Yeah, yeah. Well, Cora doesn't want to do ELD, which I understand. You know, dangerous work. Has <laughs> to do her own thing. So yeah. Well, I know there's a big need for supporting animals. Yeah. Yeah. So and some flower projects, a lot of their work is actually supporting animals. So who are my partners as well? So they'll be assisting Cara um, with that as well, just making sure things are done right because they've got quite a bit of pull over there in the south of Ukraine. Uh, when it comes to animals and they can pull a few strings and stuff so yeah i, I think it'll it'll be successful have you have you acquired any pets as you have like no we, there's been one or two that we've actually encountered that we'd like to take home but it's a case of like where, where we're gonna put it you know it's yeah we've got we have a dog that we know where it is and, and stuff and it's just running around in the streets um so i think it, when we're set up if we do see that dog we we'll probably will take it with us because the owners have disappeared, so, yeah. They must be so confused. I know, I know. And a lot of them are injured as well, you know. They're walking around, like, limping and stuff, you know. We've seen a dog the other week, Konstantinivka, uh, in the east, near Kramatorsk, and it was just sat outside a cafe, but its leg was, like, snapped. And it couldn't stand up or anything. And there's no help for that animal, you know. There's nothing really anybody can do for it. Yeah. I don't know if it, if it had been hit by a vehicle or, you know... Because that's not actually a part that's been occupied, but it's not actually far away from Batmut. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened to that dog, but, yeah, it was, it was like we just completely snapped. What is East Lanks for Ukraine, exactly? So, yeah, so um, we're, well, we started off a small community organisation in the north of England. So um, anybody who knows England knows we have counties, but, like, you have, you know, states and everything. Um and Lancashire is actually in the northwest of England, so um, and we are part of East Lanc. So it was just a, a small community organisation that we set up at the start of the war, um, and it's just built up from that. Really, you know, some people have left us, some have joined us, and um, at the minute we're only actually a team of three. So, but it's always been that way. You know, it's never actually been more than three. So, yeah, we had like a fourth member on, but I think she only lasted about two weeks. So, yeah. Yeah, I think she got her photographs and then uh, doing a good deed and then she disappeared. So the dopamine is there, time to move on. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's our story. Yeah, or is that going to be kept up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're thinking of renaming. 
Um, obviously, we're going to start the EOD, but um, I think we'll think of that at maybe a later date. You know, um, let's just get qualified and get our heads in there first, you know, get our feet on the ground and stuff first, and then we'll, we'll look at maybe renaming. Yeah, because it's not going to be so much humanitarian aid for civilians anymore. It's going to be more, you know, EOD clearance and stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, the war's going to be uh, lasting a long time. It's not going to end any time soon. And the, and the problem with mines is it's going to go on for decades. So, I mean, there's yeah. no rush on our part to, to do anything. I think I've got my own goals. and My main goal is to be a, a mine clearing charity in Ukraine and obviously work towards that eventually. Um, where we can actually provide our own training and stuff to, to others. That's that's the goal, but we're way off that yet. But yeah, that <laughs> is the goal. It's always going to be ongoing. Our project's always going to be a long-term project. Ukraine is my home, so I'm not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. You know, um, I've always seen my long-term future in Ukraine. So for for us, it's you know, it's a, it's a long-term project, and the fundraising is always going to be ongoing. It always is. I mean, we always need as much money as we can. I, I think at the start of the war, we was getting a lot of money. And we was like, like we didn't know what to do. We got to a point where we didn't want any more because we was like, that's just going to end up keeping us here even longer and longer and longer, you know. So, but as time went on, you know, you, you kind of fall in love with, with what you're doing. And and I wish them days actually came back because <laughs> we we are actually some of the lowest funded volunteers out there. I mean, there's people with yeah, right. like what we drive is, is our, our vehicles are sheds really. I mean, luckily we have we have one donated um, a four by four, which is which is quite decent. But uh, we do need to spend a bit of money on it to get it to where it needs to be. It also needs some new tires because it's got like road tires on, whereas we we need mud tires. Um, and Brandon says they're like a thousand dollars, you know. So we're just like, oh, okay, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. So on top of buying all the equipment and stuff, we've we've still got a lot of things to buy yet, you know, um, in terms of just general day to day things. You know, like like you said, it's just ongoing fundraising. Now I think we're always going to be fundraising. We're full time volunteers, you know. Yeah. We're self funded, um, and yeah, it's always going to be a case, and we just run off people's generosity basically which even a small amount goes a long way in ukraine you, you don't need a hell of a lot of money you know it's it's yeah i see people donating like tens of thousands of dollars and stuff but i mean if that were, if that was us that'd be completely life-changing and that's the end of part two you can follow harley on social media at east underscore langs the number four UKR underscore Harley on Instagram, EL4UKR underscore Harley on Twitter, and East Lanks for Ukraine on Facebook. Obviously, all of that will be down in the description. We'll be back tomorrow with regular updates on the war in Ukraine, and join us over on YouTube for a live Q&A with Harley this upcoming weekend. Until then, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>